Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm your host, Aiden, and this week is going to be a very fun episode. We've got Kevin Milligan and John Gassner on the podcast to talk about American cuisine and what's better than talking about food. So this is going to be an excellent, excellent podcast. Hope you all enjoy. Let's get started with the show. Good evening, gentlemen. How are you all doing? John, welcome. Kevin, welcome to the Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you. For the first time. We've had two of your siblings on the show. At this point, like you you know, I mean we're just gonna make sure we we get all of you on. (laughs) It feels it feels right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and then we've got John Gassner. It's been a minute, John. But you're back. Yo. Back and howdy. What have you been up to, John? Uh, Anything exciting? Just trying to start a bakery, man, out of my home. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's awesome. That's awesome. Maybe one of these days we'll have to have you do a full cooking show. Maybe we'll fly out uh, to John, guys, <laughs> and we'll do we'll do a full um cooking with John episode. Will I'll make a dish? He'll review it. Pull a Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, you could. You know, be, you know, it'd be even better. You and Kevin, yeah, t- give us. You know, pull some like iron, like Iron Chef thing, and you can be like the the chefs that like taste the food at the end, and then you can have me, Tom, and Jake cook you cook you a dish or give us ingredients. Even better, give us like a handful of ingredients, and then we have to cook a dish. I think that'd be I think that'd be pretty fantastic. I think that would make a great episode. And you can just scream at us the whole time. And throw it against the wall, you know, just <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pick us out of the house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that, that would be fun. That would be fun. Now, Kevin, you are you're you're you know, all jokes like you're an actual chef. Like, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I, we, I for American French fusion actually. American so. French fusion. So so um that sounds that sounds actually really good. So what you know, I I have to admit I've talked a little bit of crap about the French on this show. So tell me a little bit about French fu- uh, what French cuisine is and then what it means to be American French fusion cuz uh, I think I owe the the French a little bit more um, <laughs> respect, maybe when it comes to food. After, at least after doing a little bit of research for this episode, but I think Americans made it better. I don't know, maybe maybe that's a hot take, but I think we perfected what the French started. Beans. Change his mind, Kevin. <laughs> Change well, my I mind. Mean, French classically um, looked down their noses that American food is not delicate enough. Like, uh, you know, in the Thomas Jefferson's time, which I'm sure we'll get to, you have people saying that there's just way too much grease. Already already in that time, you know, 1760s, too much grease in American food, which is hilarious because we already had that going for us back then. <laughs> uh, they are focusing on being very delicate, um, uh, local food always local food, which we get on that bandwagon too. Like California cuisine starts that as well. Um, Very localized and fresh. Um, What we've focused on mostly at my restaurant is taking 
the comfortableness of American food, pretty large portions, uh, just the kind of the starchy potatoes, meat, adding French sauces like their um, hollandaise and their mushroom creams that, you know, cook for a long, long time with a nice dry white wine. Um, but presenting it, so like take a meatloaf, classic American food, meatloaf. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't get more American besides maybe a hamburger. It's just like this meat of ground beef. <laughs> yeah, sh sh shaped shaped yeah. as a loaf of bread. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, screw the bread, let's just, let's just make it meat. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, putting it on a, a smoked potato creme with an apricot barbecue sauce and blanched asparagus, calling it calling that French American fusion. Okay. So, cool. Trying to, trying to bring some delicateness without losing the comfortableness of the American mid Midwest. I gotcha. Well, I, that, okay, that's that sounds like something I would choose to eat. See, like I'm like a, a very much like if I'm gonna eat food, it's either gonna be steak and potatoes or like a Paula Deen cookie that has like twelve sticks of butter for like one cookie. You know, like something that's just obnoxiously fatty um sure that's that's like that's like that's comfort food right there so yeah uh, that that sounds that sounds like a very approachable cuisine that sounds better than like you know i i sometimes imagine like and this is this is just my ignorance but i sometimes imagine european cuisine and i just think like a few like pretty leaves drizzled with some like balsamic glaze and then like a little medallion of meat and it's just like i don't know that's 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 not for me <laughs> that's not for no. me <laughs> but well okay. you love james beard then that's what he thought too so mm. <laughs> that's too funny so i know a little bit about john's uh what got john into 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 food and cooking so tell me a little bit about yourself and what got you into cooking before we get into american cuisine because i am a little bit curious like when how did how did that how did that passion all start yeah so i mean i th i guess it starts with um hospitality in general like loving loving the hospitality experience having a great like party loving parents who know how to throw a good party and like the finer things in life and seeing people um, build memories with friends in a like a hospitality setting. Also from my own experience, some of the best times I've had are from sitting down to a good meal with friends mm -hmm. uh, and wanting to recreate that for people. So I, I guess I'm not completely sold on simply the culinary side of the hospitality industry, if you want to call it an industry. Um, but, uh, it's more like being able to provide the whole experience to yeah. customers and giving them back memories and like a beautiful experience to share with somebody. So yeah, that's kind of how, and it just finding myself more on, more on the chef side versus the management is how mm -hmm. it turned out. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. I, I will say that. You know, like, um, the more I get into like going out to restaurants and, and trying new things, there's definitely like, there's, there, yeah, there's, there's something really special when you find a place that has a, a great ambiance and great food and it puts it all together in this, like, it's like a total, it's like a packet, like the total package that you're getting there. And, um, yeah, there's something really special about when you find that type of place. Like it not only combines the, the food, the, 
the environment that you're in, the sounds, the smells, everything, and it pulls it all together. Yeah. Yeah. There's something really special about finding that type of place. So that's really cool. Yeah. So do you have, do you have aspirations to like have multiple restaurants in the future? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. Me and John are working on that towards each other. Kind of. We got big plans. Got big plans. Yeah, big plans. Tell me, about, are, would you be willing to share these big plans or these secret big plans? Uh, well, we've got one where we're gonna basically run a restaurant group that takes over the U.S., and then yep. another one that's perhaps more uh, cinematic that Kevin could tell you about. It. What? Which one's that one? The the nineteen twenties formal place. The like traveling one. The which one? Exotic places. Setting up in exotic places. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The catering company. The catering company. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one's super cool. So what I is think that? I'm what is that? Yeah, what is that? Oh so okay, that, that's is that a, that's is the it? idea of having like a catering group that specializes in techniques and equipment that no one else can replicate or has have it yet okay where we have our own brand of equipment that gives people gives us the ability to cater to very large groups of people in a very expensive and like michelin star way where mm. we are looking to looking to be the ones who get the contract on large um large like uh, i don't know uh, League of Nation meetings or large corporations going to a country to like get their get their oil empire going or whatever mm, it is, sure. right? And being the ones that they call because they know that we can give them like a like a multi million dollar experience. That's cool. So it's fine. It's fine dining. It's basically catering. That's a fine dining experience and on a large scale. At a which large is scale, like. The very scientific, like making the right equipment to be able to do that comes in. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I can imagine the the logistics behind doing something like that would be pretty immense. Yeah. Yeah. I think a most practical idea, John's and my most practical idea so far is to have a gastro gastro pub restaurant group where uh, it's set, it focuses on having very small gastro pubs, which are like very small cocktail, a few tables amazing food kind of a destination tucked away somewhere those are mm-hmm. those are becoming very popular they're easy to manage low low costs compared to opening you know uh, something like a hundred seat restaurant and just sprouting those up in places different everywhere not necessarily a chain but a group where we can like work work with each one individually and in a unique way okay uh, and not having to connect yeah, too much like to each one Go ahead, John. Yeah, yeah, like incorporating um, especially unique locations or mm. integrating the gastropub into like a historic area. Or oh, something. cool. Yeah. Like especially, especially like say on the East Coast where you've got all these historic areas and you, you kind of fit the concept to the um, region and that specific, you know, town, city, whatever. Oh, that'd be, that'd, yeah, that'd be really cool. That'd be, that'd be a really neat idea. That's something that, um, yeah, 
that I think more areas could use because a lot of a lot of times you travel and you go to some certain I mean certain areas of the country do it better than others like here in Atlanta I mean there's there's a lot of good food options and and there are a lot of unique options but you go to other areas and it's like always the same things um like over and over and over again so it's it'd be cool to have like more unique options especially tailored towards American if you had different locations that had different dishes that were based around that area or that cuisine from that area mm -hmm. of the country that'd be really cool yeah i mean that's something kevin and i would need to talk further about but something i've noticed is that you have like there's definitely a high concentration within cities of unique locations and restaurants mm -hmm. but when you get into suburban areas that's kind of like a underdeveloped market where you don't really have reliable high quality food or dining experiences it's either like a chain or some sort of independent family restaurant that serves um generic food you know which is which yeah. is awesome but um pizza get old, gets old you know after a certain yes, point, so pizzerias, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no definitely definitely i yeah i think that's yeah the, the big cities always have a lot more to offer and then you get out in the suburbs and it's just kind of meh in most places and you're like oh, yeah this is this is great this is fine but then then you feel like you've been like gypped somehow like when you go to a big city you're like oh my gosh look at all these amazing food options like why doesn't my small suburb yeah. have these <laughs> yeah so yeah. for me like i think it'd be awesome to have some of that like high quality food and unbelievable service mm -hmm. in kind of like an unassuming spot outside of the city because i'm i'm not a fan of cities but um i like this you know suburbs and more rural areas but it'd be yeah. nice to have some of that taste in that area yeah absolutely yeah that'd be really cool yeah yeah so maybe maybe we pivot here a little bit and we talk about because we were talking a lot about uh you know just food in general but I'm curious what you guys' thoughts are on like defining better what American cuisine is, because I think it's something that like, if you ask the average person like, Oh, what is American cuisine? They'd probably give you something like hamburgers or hot dogs <laughs> or something along those lines. Like it, 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 there's not too many. I don't think the average person, I don't even think I really have a, a great understanding of like what American cuisine is. Do you guys want to, maybe we can jump into this by starting out, like how do you even start to def define what American cuisine is or can you define what American cuisine is? What are you guys' thoughts on that? John, you go first. <laughs> yeah, I think it starts <laughs> with perspective. Like, I mean... If you want to answer the question, then it's kind of like from whose perspective uh, is American, you know, excuse me, from whose perspective are you trying to define American food? Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I think it's difficult to define because America is composed of uh, a nation of immigrants and like the principles and ideals of America are what defines it and what draws all those people to it. Um, and so I think there's a bit of that spirit in American food. 
and it kind of becomes a mixing bowl. And honestly, like, I know that isn't a full definition, but I think that Americans are pretty lucky because we get to have like all of it and all combined in different ways that wouldn't happen any other way. Yeah. Yeah. I, preliminary definition. Yeah. I think that, that, that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. I think we are lucky because we're a, a melting pot that we have so many different inputs into our cuisine. Like, I mean, you think about all the different cultures that are coming here, bringing their own cuisine, their own food, their own family traditions with, um, with cooking and, uh, you know, sharing mealtimes and all this stuff. And you get this very diverse culture and it varies because the United States is so big too. And different areas have more or less of, of different, uh, cultures and people. So you get this very wide range of, of cuisine. And I think sometimes it's maybe, maybe, maybe this is, maybe this is where I think a lot of people just don't understand American cuisine is because it's so vast. Like it's hard to pinpoint one type of food that defines American cuisine. Whereas like, if you go to Italy, I mean, it's pretty easy to pinpoint pasta. <laughs> like, I mean, that's like where the first thing everybody goes to, because it, the, the types of cuisine in Italy are maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think more limited than the offerings and the variety of different cuisine that we have here in the United States. Yeah. I mean, I think with like, I think people have a hard time grasping the size and diversity of the U S like in terrain only. Um, so like you brought up Italy, like if you go to Italy, it varies, but Italy is like, it's a drastically smaller country than the U S and that confines its, um, you know, the terrain. And so you have like in the North of Italy, there's dairy, whereas in like uh -huh. Sicily, it's seafood and like, um noodles or the concept you know of noodles you know tie that all together in different ways freshness of ingredients are huge for them and i think it's difficult when you go to the u.s because um like california you're going to have different food from what you're going to have you're not going to have seafood in kansas mm -hmm. and kansas is going to emphasize beef and yeah, I think that that adds to the complexity of pinpointing it. Also, the 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 complexity of our populations, which you've already mentioned, John. Yeah, like something that's also different from say Italy would be the enormous diversity of who we have here, mm -hmm. and whether we're making American Chinese, Americanized Chinese, or Americanized Italian. I think one of the hard things to pinpoint in America is what is fusion and what is Americanized food. Mm. So we can take like an Americanized Chinese food and they would be like, that's not Chinese. Yeah, but it's Americanized Chinese or same with Italian food, you know, mm -hmm. like our pizzas alone look drastically different. And then what is a fusion between say French and American or Asian and American? Um, yeah, those, I think those are two, two things that are, are noteworthy to differentiate. Yeah, definitely. I and like it's it's hard to like pinpoint where to draw the line there on what is fusion and what is not. Yeah. Yeah. 
I will say this though: the we the Italians do not have better pizza than we do. We have better pizza than the Italians. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> we do it better. We do it better. New York pizza is the best pizza. Chicago. Don't forget like, the deep dish though. Chicago deep Chicago, dish. Chicago. Chicago is the cold. Well, here's here's the thing about deep dish. Deep dish can't even be in the same conversation as I mean it. It is oh. pizza. There's there's you, you can't like put like uh, Detroit style deep dish and New York thin crust all in the same category. Like they are different types of pizza, and and I would say that is the I would say Ita- the Italian version of pizza is completely different than what we have here. So you can't really like it's not like it's not like apples to apples comparisons, obviously. Um, but I think we have, I mean, just, uh, I just named off three different American types of pizza right there. This case in point, we do pizza better. We, we took it from the Italians. <laughs> we are the pizza kings of the world. Do you guys, do you guys speak? Oh, Jake, from experience, it's not the same. Not even close. <laughs> uh, do you guys, do you guys uh, know who, you guys follow uh, Dave Portnoy from Barstool Sports, and he does the the pizza reviews. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is the pizza connoisseur. He is he is the uh, he is the ultimate authority on pizza. Hey, I don't know. Keep I, curtain, curtain, small businesses. Yes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, allegedly. Yeah, uh, yeah allegedly that one that one pizza guy and what was it was it like massachusetts didn't like him massachusetts dragon pizza mm-hmm. yeah it's funny it just looked gross the way he was like the, how thin the crust was the cheese was all i don't know it looked like I, rubber it, i will <laughs> say there are some pizzas that uh, maybe they aren't just maybe they're not for me they just aren't at all. They don't not look, all created equal. They're not all created equal. Pizzas are not all created equal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they don't have the they they don't have the same uh you know uh they don't have the the same rights as each other. You you're not allowed to give the same rights to a a, a crappy piece of pizza as a, a a good crispy New York pizza. Um Okay, so where do we start, John, in this journey of defining American cuisine? Because we have to start somewhere. Where, like, where would you say the first in, like, where's the first major input into like what American cuisine is? Like, is there a specific moment in time where you think we can like pinpoint the roots Um, of American cuisine? It's rough. I mean, because it, it, like I said, it all depends on who you are as an American, like you're an immigrant, mm-hmm. uh, you know, say you're a Chinese immigrant, that's going to be drastically different from what what you call an American dish is drastically different from what you call what a Dutch American calls an American sure. dish, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's, stereo, you know, like um, stereotypical American foods for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like barbecue, burgers, pizza, wings whatever um i think if you want to go back to like where food first showed up in america is kind of starts with the jamestown um settlers coming in and i believe they're pretty inept at like cultivating the 
the soil and everything until the Native Americans showed them how to do it. Um, and then they, you know, brought in, uh, what is it? The Three Sisters is the name of it. It's like squash, corn, and beans. One beans. other crop. Beans, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So like the diet back, the diet for them was um, game, obviously. And then those mm. cultivated crops. Um, and then I think you could trace it from like those game meats into um, for me, like the cult, the introduction of the pig in America stands out. Mm. Like the oh, yeah. pig is the perfect animal. Like if you just want to make a sausage or um, compared to the amount of like land that cattle needs to graze on, like pig has it all. It, it, you know, eats your trash, turns it into beautiful food. That's, high in fat or mm -hmm. protein and is going to fuel you. And so like pig was huge um, as a Virginian and in Virginia, um, that was like where barbecue started in mm -hmm. like just the smoking of meats, smokehouses, making sausages. Um, and then from there, obviously like once you get past colonial, the first colonial settlers, then things really explode. Um, but I think you can divide the first, like in the 18th century, that would be probably European influence. And then, you know, like uh, Spanish influence down in Florida mm -hmm. would be the first division. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the, the pig because I think it's, I think that is kind of a, when you look across the board that's a real staple in american cuisine um whether it's in barbecue or yeah like you said sausages and all mm -hmm. these different types of meals and i think it for probably for especially like poor people like uh farmers like i mean if they were raising crops it was it's fairly easy livestock to maintain and like relatively cheap whereas like some other things like cattle maybe are a little bit more expensive to maintain so yeah, I, I think that's, I think that definitely plays a role. I know like even in like the regional styles of barbecue, like it, like that, that's something that's really interesting too. Like the different regional styles of barbecue. So you have like Texas barbecue, which is very like beef based. A lot of those sort of Western states have a, 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 a barbecue that's usually a little bit more beef based. And that's usually just because of the ranching influence out in that area of the country, whereas the Eastern and the Southeastern United States has a lot more pork um, influence. And one of the things that's interesting too, like, especially like down here in, in Georgia, or even if you go to like, um, like Arkansas has this too, you'll like the, or South Carolina is another big one. The pork barbecue is such a big deal um, and it's so ingrained in the culture and it was actually started by the um that kind of that style of cooking was actually like the whole hog barbecue and that style of cooking was actually started by the african-american slaves and it was because the the slave owners would basically they would eat the the beef and they would 
tell the, you know, they would give the slaves um, pork and chicken to raise. And so that whole hog style of barbecue became really, really popular in the South um, after the, the slaves were emancipated because that's really all they had to eat. And it was, you know, it was fairly, you know, cheap. Most of them had hogs. So that's why, like, there's such a, a big pork dominant influence on Southern barbecue and like that whole hog style of barbecue in the South. So it's, it's really interesting. Like when you look at different areas in the country and just like the demographics of people, how one sort of even protein can be determined by the situations. I think lifestyle yeah. too, lifestyle, American lifestyle has drastically influenced how some other ethnicities um culinary culture has changed here because of and you can see that as as early as like thomas jefferson's time hmm. um where you have the slave populations that need like quick easy food and thomas jefferson introduced polenta to america to mm -hmm. feed a slave and look where the polenta is now it's like it's in like pretty high cuisine and you can do great things with it um but the French and the English, I mean, Charles Dickens thought that his trip to America was, quote, a culinary disaster. Uh, that's in the middle of the 1800s. But it's <laughs> quick food. It's always, like from the get-go, it's been fast food. Yeah. Um, um, Delmonico's the first fine dining restaurant in America, 1838. Uh, they would serve 12 course meals, 14 course meals, but they would give eight minutes per meal. Of course, <laughs> like that's what they, that's the timeline that they gave their guests to eat their food <laughs> because Americans eat their food fast. Yeah. And from the get go. And that's just interesting with, uh, and, and we prefer faster ways of cooking. Like yeah. that's, that's, that's the whole like greasy American classic food. You, you mm. cook it in oil, fastest way to cook food in oil. Mm -hmm. You flash fire. So, um, that's interesting the way the, the, uh, American culture has taken food, changed it huh. to fit our lifestyle. Yeah, that's interesting. I never really thought about that, but you're right. Like, I think because we're, I mean, a country of immigrants, it's always been like nose to the grindstone. We have, we have shit to do. We don't have time to sit around and spend 13 hours cook, whipping up something fancy. Like it's what's, what's convenient, what's tasty, what's going to keep me fueled throughout the day to get the tasks done that are needed. Like, uh, especially when you, when you start moving West into that, once we, once we had the Western expansion after the Louisiana purchase and a lot of, um, a lot of that land became farmland and there was just a, a lot of, uh, they're just, Farmers don't have a lot of time throughout the day to sit around and cook a meal. So what's what's easy, you know, or the ranchers or if you look at the cowboys, you know, there's a reason that campfire cooking one 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 uh, skillet meals became so popular and prevalent because they don't have time to sit around and make sure. some gourmet meal. But also what's interesting is that the lifestyle in the Americas also drastically differs. John and I at one point put on this 10 course meal that uh, was just East coast food. I'm from the Northeast. He's from yeah. the Southeast from Virginia. Mm -hmm. um, and we kind of like put our cuisines together mm -hmm. and it was interesting to see uh, again, like what's coming out of each region on the East coast. Yeah. And barbecue is classic in the South because the lifestyle is slower. 
right? Mm-hmm. You're getting 900 degree stone fire pizza in the north, right? You have all the Italians in the industrial cities mm-hmm. and we're pumping out faster and faster pizzas, thin crust. Uh, and then you go down south and you have the barbecue because people love to like sit and have the experience of cooking their meat mm-hmm. really slowly for a long time, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can see in America where our lifestyles have split and and produce different Americanized food. Mm. Yeah, it's it it comes down to a, a very regional, a very regional thing. Yeah, yeah, Kevin. I think that idea of like speed is really interesting that you bring up because like fast food is gets bashed a lot, and I mean the health is probably not the greatest, but the idea that fast food has always been around in America, it could be key to like the identity of Americans. Like yeah. Europe is a much, much more settled um, region where things have been going for, you know, thousand, is that right? Thousand years. So, and mm-hmm. in comparison, America is, um, you know, very very young and our identity is to like to forge something out of the materials that we have and we're we're focused on that production of something as opposed to uh resting or being surrounded by the same land that the family's been surrounded by for hundreds of years like there's not a whole lot new in um, Europe, but there's still places in America where people haven't been. Uh-huh. Like, you think about out west, that's it's crazy. Yeah. You go out up to Wyoming, and you can go places where probably no person has set foot still. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I think and they, it's just like yeah. oh, yes. food is built to fuel that American dream of like mm. creating something. Yeah. Yeah. I think the expand, like the expansiveness of our country plays a huge role in that. So you look at the size of the United States compared to Europe and it's just completely different. Like there's so much opportunity. People, people are, aren't focused on sitting back and relaxing. They're focused on going and finding opportunity. Like even if you look at like Mex- like Mexican cuisine, look at some of the dishes um, like especially Mexican American cuisine, and you get like the like things like tamales and even like taco. I mean, ta- like a taco shell is basically just like a a way for you to carry around your food. Por- like it's a portable like food carrying device. You know, you like I don't know like if you guys have ever seen this, but down here, I'll like see guys and their um they're like the roofers will like pull up in their white vans into our work parking lot. And it'll be like, it'll be lunchtime. So right around noon and they'll pull out this little, um, they'll pull out their little like stove and they'll start cooking up like rice and beans. And then they'll be flipping their taco shells and they'll be like cooking like a full meal right in the van. And then like 20 minutes, they'll be off and back, like working on the roofs. Like it's, it's crazy. It's really cool. But like you, you start to see like the ingenuity of people in figuring out what foods work and what foods don't. 
when they're out working, what's a quick meal, what's something that's easy to eat, portable, and tastes good. Yeah. Hence the burger. I mean, the burger is probably one of the most quintessential uh, American foods. And mm -hmm. we put it, we made it, and now, like, every country, every country has a burger. Yeah. An American burger. What are, what are the, or, do you guys know the origins of the burger? I don't know the origins of the burger. Anyone have a quick, quick one. burger history for us? Well, White so Castle was the first, go ahead, John. Yeah, it's pretty contested. Uh, some yeah, people sure. say it started up in Massachusetts with like basically beef and two slices of white bread. Other people say it was started in Hamburg, Germany and brought over by German immigrants. Um, and then you can find like tens of places in the U.S. claiming ownership of the first burger. It's like the margarita. <laughs> Who had the first margarita? Ooh. <laughs> who figured out lime tequila and salt taste good together <laughs> uh, yeah 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 I, I was just curious if there was a neat story behind that because i know there's some like cool stories like about like thomas jefferson popularized a lot of things when he when he because he he spent a lot of time studying french cuisine uh, and then bringing a lot of that back to um to the united states so like he popular popularized the tomato Again, he brought back tomatoes. Apparently, people thought they were poisonous. Um, and he's like, no, these are actually really good. Um, I know he popularized the French fries here. French fries, ice cream, and I think oh. the other one was macaroni and cheese. So he brought those all back. So we have him to thank for those. I mean, I'm sure somebody eventually would have brought it over here, but he was ahead of his time, ahead of his game. He realized that mac and cheese was important to America. And mac and cheese was actually like a high class food for a while. Yeah, yeah. Until, until it became like you know in a like um like a home cooking staple. Yeah. Like, uh, Dalmonico's was serving it on their on their like high end course meals. So I don't know a good mac and cheese like if it's done right like a, a mac and cheese and then you get like the the breadcrumbs with the bacon and the chives on top and you like you do that bait you. What is it? A baked mac and cheese? Oh, that's so good. Baked mac and cheese are excellent. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, mac and cheese. I think you could, I think you, I think there's an argument for mac and cheese. I think somebody should start a, or somebody should add onto their menu macaroni and cheese, but do it high class. Maybe like, maybe. Oh, I've some... been working on that. That's like a hardcore project of mine. Okay. Okay, oh, I was really? gonna say use some use some truffle oil and stuff like that, right? I mean, what? Are... Yeah, like smoked Gruyere or yeah, sun dried tomatoes with andouille. Mm -hmm. Just trying to figure out what exactly it needs. The combo, anyway. good. Okay, you see, they have like mac and cheese bars, so it's like chipotle but macaroni and cheese. Oh, I've That's seen so this. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, really... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like build. It's like basically like build your own mac and cheese. Uh -huh. This sounds like the bulking food. Like this is where all the weightlifters go. <laughs> Drop by the mac and cheese. It, maybe get salty on the way home. It also sounds like a really good way to like make. I there's just something like mac and cheese, like like a make your own bar. That just sounds like uh, I don't know. It just doesn't sound clean. Like 
it doesn't seem like cleanly at all. Like it seems like something you get like an infection from like going to the mat. I'm, I'm going to go down to the Mac. It's like, it's like the equivalent of like going to like a golden corral. Like the quality just doesn't seem like it would be there. <laughs> Quantity, you know, your calorie ratio. Sure. I'm sure it's great. Like your dollars to calorie ratios. I'm sure fantastic. But you know, you know, like you can like in those types of places, they never like, use the best ingredients so you know it's like that like fake nacho cheese that like comes out of the plastic bags that Velveeto. they use so like, yeah Velveeto. yeah like that but not even Velveeta. it's like that stuff they serve at the ballparks where it literally is like this giant plastic like bag that looks like it's like carrying some sort of like human excrement in it and then they like open up the little like <laughs> nozzle and it like comes out and like then you put it on your little chip you know your your um your nachos Ugh no there's just something gross about that there's a miracle you sound like you've been scarred by it (laughs) i i've heard stories i had a i had a i had a friend that worked at a ballpark and he told me that that stuff's not safe (laughs) he's like he's like there's very few things you can get at a baseball game that are like he's like that i would recommend and i think he was like i think it was like anything that's sealed that comes pre like pre-bagged so any like sort of chip or candy he's like yeah that's probably fine (laughs) everything else where they cook it no no not great um yeah i don't know there's just but i think there's i think there's room in this country for upscaling mac and cheese totally (laughs) oh but are there it are there you eating? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I'm cut out for that business. <laughs> quit the paper company. Yeah, quit the, quit, the, quit, the, quit the paper company. I'll I'll start my own mac and cheese bars. Aiden's yeah. mac and cheese. <laughs> nah, I'm I think I'm good. <laughs> I think I'm good. Uh okay. So is there any other like points in, in our history that are like pivotal points in um american cuisine is there like a so you've got so we just we talked about thomas jefferson obviously like that that him bringing a lot of the french cuisine here is important after that like 19th 20th century are there like major influences there that play a role i feel like there's two there's two more that go ahead john no i'm excited to hear what you'll say okay so so i think the first one um, would be the big immigration in the 1800s of mm. all the European immigrants, especially Italians. Uh, you had the Irish coming over from the um, uh, potato famine. You've got Dutch, um, Germans. And then after that, in the late um, 18th century, you have uh, Eastern European nations coming over and um, they brought all their food with them. And so that was a huge influx in the variety of food. And like, what would American food be without Italian food, for example? Mm-hmm. Then after that, I think the 20s up until like the 50s, 60s, because you have the introduction of, well, first off, prohibition is huge mm-hmm. in America. And then you also have the introduction of like canned foods. And that whole different way of eating, like it was a whole shift from everything had to be prepared um, that day. Like you are tied 
you have a family member who is tied to the stove, the kitchen, mm-hmm. and then you shift into um, mass production in various ways in a whole new food system in America, which we're kind of operating off of still. Yeah. And I mean, it's definitely got pros and cons. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't forget though, like central figures though, as well as movements in American cuisine, mm-hmm. like um, obviously James Beard and Helen Brown and Fanny, uh, you know, uh, Fanny Farmer's cookbook, you know, a Julia Child. Th- those characters have definitely shaped uh, at least the world's recognition and our own acceptance of what American cuisine is. Um, I would say like 1950s would be the period when we actually accepted this is like American cuisine and we're okay with it, with James Beard uh, collaborating with Helen Brown. James Beard had places on in New York, so East Coast and Oregon, West Coast, Helen Brown was kind of the forerunner and founder of California cuisine, oh. um, which was I talked about earlier, like getting back to fresh, fresh ingredients like uh, the um, margarita pizza, for example. Okay. Fresh basil, fresh mozzarella, fresh tomatoes. That's a very like classic um, California cuisine pizza. So James Beard, I think, spearheaded the idea of fusion in America versus Americanized food. Uh, We would take people's cuisines and make them Americanized, but he wanted to, first of all, de-snob our culinary ambition. I think he was very American. Um, He And his characteristic, he was like a television personality. He was a teacher. He wrote 20 books. Um, and he was like this fat, jolly, kind of like crude personality that that broke down a lot of people's like snobbery about what cuisine should be. And that's very American, I think. What you're getting from the French is a very austere uh, expectation. And what American American cuisine has done is kind of like made it comfortable. And approachable and that's what he wanted to do with his cookbooks is make cooking obviously Ju- julia childs as well mm. um, make good food like approachable to people so anyway i think that people like that have also made american american food like very recognizably in the food scene yeah and accepted you think, Kevin, that other countries have a thing like comfort food that Americans do? Like, I know how it's very, very common with Americans to say, like, I'm just going to go eat to make myself feel better. Like, yeah. is that a thing in other countries? I've never really thought about that before. I'm not sure if I could authoritatively say that, but it seems like Americans are particularly good at it. Yeah, uh, it's like the binge fest is something very American. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why there are books like Why French Women Are Skinny. Why French Women Aren't Fat, I think is the name of the book. Um, <laughs> because they just, I mean, they eat good food, but they don't eat a lot. And they're, they don't like, they're not like, they don't have that culture of like our comfort mac and cheese or 
our burgers or our Cheez-Its or our Coke or, you know, whatever it is. Hot pockets! Yeah, hot pockets. <laughs> hot pockets. <laughs> and you see, like, frozen dinners first in America. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, that's a good point, yeah. I mean, I yeah. Waffle House? Mm. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Waffle yeah. House. Ah. Yeah. But yeah. I, I'm sure, like every per- the important thing, and what I love about hospitality in general is that anywhere you are and whomever you are, it seems like food is important to your life, um, to your memories. The olfactory nerves actually are the 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 senses of the five senses, the ones that retain the most memory. So, um, and as you know, like olfactory nerves are like eighty percent of taste. So if you plug your nose and try to eat a Skittle, you're not going to be able to taste it. Mm. And I mean, we've done fun experiments where you plug your nose and you eat jelly beans with your eyes closed. Oh, yeah. And you try to guess what flavor it is. You can't mm-hmm. until you unplug your nose. So my point is olfactory nerves are connected to memory, right? And what do we like smelling more than the food that we grew up with? So it seems like everyone would have their comfort food as the ones that bring them back to the memories of of places and things and people that they've loved. Um, yeah. So in that sense, I think everyone has comfort food. I just think that Americans have the most comfortable comfort food. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe the most unhealthy comfort comfort foods too. Um, <laughs> That's <quite> comfortable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no one sit. wasn't sitting in it. An antique Windsor back chair and say it's comfortable. You want to sit in an oversized flush lazy boy and eat a bag of Doritos and eat a bag of Doritos. That's comfortable. That's comfortable. That's 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 peak comfort right there. Yeah, Yeah, like you don't see an Englishman say, "Honey, would you pass me the Dorito?" Like (laughs) this one happen. No, they say they 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 have stupid words for everything. They call it like a crisp or something. The cheesy crisp, because they're just oh, yeah. Don't get me started on the British. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that, I think yeah, that's I think that's really interesting. I think that I think if you asked, um, ten different people what their comfort foods were you probably get 10 different answers and it's all dependent on you know what you grew up with what was around you and then what gave you that comfort as a child yeah hmm. if you ask like an italian butcher it'll be like the tongue sandwich that his mom makes or like you know <laughs> the, the the liver stew or whatever yeah exactly the, the poor food that they grew up eating because yeah. they sold all the best cuts of meat yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah so where does that leave us now with american cuisine like what are the things you guys have seen over the last like i don't know what are you guys thoughts over the last like maybe 20 years has has american cuisine changed has um have events like uh like covid changed the way our 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 food um and our cuisine is is consumed like are we consuming food differently 
Are we going out to like, I feel like maybe as Americans, we're going out to eat more now more than ever, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts? I think the I whole, think I'm gonna... go ahead, John. Yeah. I think the biggest thing has been like, in my mind, there's been a shift from food being primarily uh, fuel mm. to now taste and enjoyment has become a huge element to that. So like, not to say that you wouldn't want taste, um, back in the sixties, but that wasn't primary in the way that it is now, especially with the age of, you know, with how social media operates, people go to restaurants for, for status, for viral appeal. Like people eat out now for completely different reasons than they used to. And in addition to that, they see everything. And so they're exposed to so much more, um, food so many different foods and other things that they wouldn't have otherwise which if you enjoy food is pretty awesome i'm not complaining yeah <laughs> there seems also to be some, some kind of rebellion in uh like i think actually aiden's right with the whole eating out more i feel like people are, are like some kind of they're fed up. They were fed up with the whole um, quarantine thing. And now people just want to be out and mingling. Mm -hmm. and Yeah. It shut down a lot of restaurants, but the research in newer restaurants now is like astronomical. Yeah. That's what I was curious about. Cause I feel like if you look at pre pandemic versus post pandemic and the amount of restaurants that were new restaurants that were coming out pre pandemic versus post pandemic, it's night and day. I feel like, the amount of new restaurants coming out now, I may, and maybe it's just me in a growing city, but it seems like there's a new restaurant every week and it's something different and they're trying something a little bit, you know, like if it's, if it's another Mexican restaurant, they're, they're, um, you know, they have a different setup, different, you know, way they serve their food, whatever it is that differentiates them from everybody else. So it just seems like there's a lot of people with a lot of really cool, and maybe it's, maybe it's a lot of people realized as they were at home that they wanted to like follow their passions. And so hopefully that means there's more passion projects. There's more people doing what they love out there and more people decided to go into food, but it, it did seem a little bit interesting. The other thing I'm curious about is like, what do you guys think? Like, I think there was definitely a shift in how the average American consumed their meals. And I'm, um, and I'm talking about like the family dinner. Cause I think for a long time, family dinners were really, really, really important. And there seems to be a shift and it seems to be right around the 19, seems right around where the TV dinners pop in, in the sixties, where that changes a little bit. Um, but I wanted to get you guys thoughts. Cause it seems like the family meal or like gathering around a dinner table shifted at some point in the mid, mid to late 20th century. Would that be correct in saying? Because I think that's a big cultural shift in American cuisine as well.
I could be wrong, but it seems like um, I could be wrong, but it seems like that cultural shift was driven by the industrialization of food, not mm. vice versa. Okay. I don't feel like that industry was catering to the lifestyle of people. I feel like it dictated the lifestyle of people. Mm. Uh, John had mentioned like World War II, the and like the um, processing of food and things um, and that changing foods availability and, and um, accessibility and ease of use. Um, but I feel like in the same way, the fashion industry kind of dictates what people is wearing are wearing mm. because it says so versus like people realize they could do this with food. They could make processed food this ways. They could make TV dinners, uh, that uh and that kind of like dictate people how they should eat right hmm. if you have a tv in your room in your living room then the tv is telling you how you're going to be eating yeah. right because obviously you're going to be sitting at around it you know instead of at the table for mm -hmm. example james yeah. beard famously thought famously said that he had become a culinary whore because he started marketing big brand names for industrialized food just to make money for his institutions and schools and uh completely against his ideology uh but he like became a face for for um craft and, and things and other mm -hmm. corporations that were making processed foods and and like buying into like you know our culinary idol was buying into the uh like industrialization of food that was being pushed mm -hmm. So that's I don't know if that directly answers your question, but I feel no, like... No, I, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, that's an interesting point. I, I never really looked at it that way before. I kind of saw, I think, with the around the same time as the industrialization of food, I think, you know, America was becoming more in, industrialized and, and kind of the family dynamics had changed a little bit too. So I'd, I always oh, kind of looked sure. at it from that perspective, but it is interesting to think about it because I think to a to a certain extent, you are definitely right. I think like what were, what was kind of like pushed out in the, in, in kind of like this, like serving trough in front of us, whether it's food or fashion or entertainment, what, what have you, it's kind of what the choices that were given, unless you really go out of your way and you're an outlier. Yeah. And so yeah, I think it, it's easier just to go with, okay, this is, this is what's, this is, this is what's in the stores. You know, this is, this is what we have access to. Yeah. I feel like our industrial lifestyle, though, had had already evolved into that many years before mm -hmm. the, the 60s, 50s and 60s um, and TV dinners and things like we were we were famous for our industrialized spirit when the time of democracy in America was written. Sure. In the 70s, yeah. Late 70s, so. Yeah. Uh, I think what's really interesting um, for American cuisine is the. Um, is the introduction of the celebrity chef. Mm. Okay. That, that's interesting. Yeah. The Gordon Ramsay's, you know, uh -huh. I, I guess I couldn't say definitively whether America started the, started that or whether, well, yeah, that's not true. I mean, French, French, French had theirs, but we, we're in America are so driven by celebrity chefs now mm -hmm. where you go into a restaurant and the restaurant 
has the name of the owner of the chef owner, right? It's about the chef. Yeah. It's about the chef's personality, you know, and it's no longer about the whole hospitality experience. And it's something where we're fighting to get back to like Madison. Uh, Madison 11 is one of those restaurants. That's very few restaurants that's known for its hospitality versus versus the Gordon Ramsay restaurants, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is it. But I, yeah, I, I can't think of any other, um, any other country or culture that really was pushed a, a certain or like um, marketed their food around a certain chef before we did. French laundry, you know, the French laundry in, in California. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So if if you, if we could sum up <laughs> what we've learned tonight, um, what do you think the most important take? Like, if if somebody was to ask you, Kevin or or John, what is American cuisine, or how would you define, or how would you approach American cuisine? What is your like? I don't want to say elevator pitch, but like, what's your short answer to them? Like if you were going to try to capture, like capture somebody's attention and give them American cuisine in like 60 seconds or less, you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you, how do you, how do you capture what American cuisine is? Cause I think one of the things we talked about tonight is like, it's so like expansive that it's kind of hard to capture. So, like, how would you capture the idea of what is, like, what American cuisine is and communicate that? <laughs> I'm not going to ask you softball questions, John. You're the food, you guys are the food experts here. I'm just some idiot that, you know, cooks chicken and rice almost for 90% of my meals. So, <laughs> chicken, rice, and beef. If I could fry it in a pan quick, that's what I counted to. For me, I think if I had to sum up American food, I would say that um, it is food that has meaning to you as um, – that is almost tied to, to me, it's kind of, it's tied to the American dream mm. and the American identity as in the pursuit of something beyond yourself, some sort of um, loftier goal and vision that you're striving for, or that your family or your clan within America has pursued. Mm. I like that. So like, yeah that's good that's a great answer kevin do you have do you want to add anything to that would you say it any differently than john try to think of my last word i think there's three words that i'm that i'm looking for that can okay i would say I would say convenience, diversity, and integrity are the three words that American food tries to emulate. We are all about 
getting the food quick, um, not messing around. We're all about our diversity. We want a very diverse palette of food for the melting pot of the world. And then our integrity is uh, is like, this is American food and we like it this way. And, and we're not French snobs. And if you come to our place, then this is how we're going to make it. I like that. I'm going to clip that last part just so it's a, just so I can capture you saying we're not French snobs. <laughs> and then that's going to be, that's going to be on our Instagram and, and YouTube. Cause I think, I think I've got several clips of me talking about French snobbery. So now there's somebody else talking about French snobbery. We're actually going to change the name of this podcast. This, I work for a French American restaurant. I know. We're gonna tag them too. <laughs> don't don't you worry, Kevin. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we're gonna change the name of this podcast to the French Hate Podcast or something. <laughs> Just create a reel of all the best French roasts that we've had. That will be one of them, Kevin. Yours will be the first one on the list, Kevin. <laughs> Glad to contribute. Glad to contribute. <laughs> the people will love it, Kevin. People will love it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, is there anything we missed? Is there anything that's like paramount to this discussion that we completely overlooked? I think we covered it pretty well, but maybe I'm totally missing something. What do you think, John? I think pride. I think Americans need to have more pride in their food. Like, you get to eat the best darn food and food from all over in a way that other people don't. And, you know, don't stand for people bashing how American food is all unhealthy and um, it's just this fast food garbage because that's doing a disservice to your identity as an American and, you know, the food that makes you. Yeah. Yeah. When they, when they tell you it's unhealthy, you give them a fried or you give them one of the fried Twinkies or Snickers bars. <laughs> you, and you, you tell show them, them what's best. You show <laughs> them. Give them a fried the stick of butter. criticizing our American spirit since democracy in America was written. <laughs> and they're still doing it. And we're still doing the same thing. Sorry, world. Yeah, sorry. Sorry we like our fried sticks. Sorry we like fried sticks of butter. It's not our fault. They're good. Come on. You okay, John, you 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 that was a great answer by the way. But but, but you but you said pride and I was like I was like John. John. You you said it and then you paused. I was like we're going to talk about pride. I'm like, where are we going? No, they stole that word. That is a strong <laughs> word that has been stolen and misused. Our food has rainbows. <laughs> <laughs> the American dream. Rainbow food. I mean, isn't that what Lucky hey, Charms Fruit Loops, is? Fruit Loops, yeah. Fruit Loops, Lucky Charms. <laughs> more American than that. <laughs> Artificially flavored corn cereal that has like every, you know, artificial dye in it too. Oh, fantastic. Fruit Loops are great. Man, what a great, what a great cereal. I will say that American grocery stores are better than any other grocery stores. Our, um, our our 
access to different types, not only different types of food, but like ingredients when you go in the grocery stores is absolutely incredible. And like, I love the, like the little international aisle that you get. Oh, yeah. One aisle out of every store, international. It's right here. And it's like, and it's like, and it's like, it's like a can of, it's a can of salsa, some soy sauce, (laughs) and some like rice noodles. (laughs) And they're like, that sums it up, guys. (laughs) It's like sweet and sour sauce, salsa, (laughs) and some taco shells. (laughs) Fried pasta. Yeah, some yeah, some pasta. Yeah, it's too funny. Too funny. All right, guys. Well, that's all I have for this one. If you guys got anything else, it's been real. All right, it's been great. Do you guys want to, John, Kevin? Do you want to plug your social media or anything like that? Your business. Um. Yeah, my bakery is in Stafford, Virginia. You can hit me up on Instagram at Cooking with Gas. That's cooking underscore with g-a-s-s see some fiery breads on there john makes good if you're swinging through lincoln nebraska go to l's kitchen l's kitchen lincoln nebraska awesome guys this has been great i appreciate you guys getting on thank you tom thank you jake this has been fantastic um thanks everybody for tuning in to this week's conversation hope you guys enjoyed the show if you did you can drop us a like leave us a comment or review we appreciate hearing from you guys if this is your first time listening to the podcast and you like what you heard go give us a follow at the green dragon podcast on youtube instagram and true social and the green dragon pod on rumble and twitter you can listen to our show everywhere you go on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, new podcasts every Friday. Until next time, be safe, fight for what you believe in, and most importantly, be a good American. God bless.